New video of the fatal Cleveland Dam release. Now the question, why is there no warning system? Plus. I think it's outrageous. This is a family neighborhood. You can see it's a family neighborhood. Residents push back against Vancouver's second permanent overdose prevention site. And. We need to recognize that it is going to be a different Halloween this year. And a different Thanksgiving, Remembrance Day, and Christmas in a holiday season like we've never seen before. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. A Newton neighborhood is behind police tape tonight following an early morning shooting that's left a man critically injured. Surrey RCMP say they responded to a break and enter and shooting in the 5800 block of 129th Street just before 3 o'clock this morning. A 67-year-old man was found inside with gunshot wounds. He was taken to hospital in critical but stable condition. Investigators are now trying to determine if this was a targeted shooting. There was cop cars all lined on the inside of our complex. I saw the cops going through the front yards of our complex, um, of the, down a couple of uh, houses down from our neighbors, and they were looking for something with their flashlights, and we don't really know. And then this morning, our whole area was taped up all the way up until that street over there. Because the cops are always in this neighborhood, there's different houses, and in our complex, there's uh, been reasons where there's been cops that come and talk to people. We did bring in the integrated police dog services who uh, were able to initiate a track. However, they were unsuccessful in fully being able to track and apprehend our suspect. We do have a vague description of this person. They were described as being a large man, tall, skinny, and wearing dark clothing, black shirt and black pants. Our investigators right now are working to determine if this was in fact a targeted shooting and if this individual was the intended victim. More work is being done. This victim was not known to police and we are asking anyone who has information to please call Surrey RCMP or you can also call Crime Stoppers if you wish to remain anonymous. And Surrey RCMP are still gathering evidence at this building at 82nd Avenue and 124th Street. Officers have been set up in the area for several days after executing a search warrant. Police won't confirm if they're investigating a possible drug lab. We're getting a new perspective of that unscheduled and unannounced release of water from the Cleveland Dam. An accident that's left one man dead and another unaccounted for. As witnesses provide video of the wave of water, questions are rising about why there's no warning system to alert anyone who happens to be downstream. Julia Foy has more. Squamish Nation fish guardian Cody Mathias watches the Capilano River every day. So on Thursday, he knew something was wrong. And I saw it just before coming around the corner there, and I told I start yelling, oh, the river's going to get high. Right over there. What Matthias saw was a small tsunami of water coming towards him. And it just rose right up. Within a second, it was like maybe six, seven feet high. His son grabbed his phone and started recording. And it was just scary how fast it rose because all these rocks here disappeared within a minute. The rising waves were caused by a massive water release from the Capilano Dam, which Metro Vancouver says occurred during a maintenance session. Both men questioned why there wasn't a warning system in place to protect them. Usually there's, there's supposed to be a sound to let them know 
river's going to be rising soon. Well, they should have horns or something. The torrent of water claimed the life of one man and another is still missing. Metro Vancouver's head spokesman was asked about a warning system. My understanding is there is no um, alarm on the on the dam that is um, a public address type system for people. BC Hydro runs 82 dams at 40 locations around the province, including the Ruskin Dam near Mission. A spokesman says, we have public warning systems, i.e. sirens, at all of our facilities where release of water could pose a hazard to the public. The sirens are intended to warn river users of sudden or unplanned water flow changes. At Hayward Lake, which flows below the Ruskin Dam, locals appreciate the safety warning system. It's nice if there's going to be a siren or a bell or something, and preferably some... uh parks people walking around. There's always the concern and the worry of something happening while you're out on the water. Matthias says the same protection for Cap River fishers is long overdue. Julia Foy, Global News. A distribution centre in Delta has been closed due to an outbreak of COVID-19. The Fraser Health Authority says Valhalla Distribution, MSJ Distribution, was ordered closed after staff members tested positive. So far, 23 people have contracted the virus. Health officials are screening workers and carrying out contract tracing. Public Health says it was first made aware of a potential outbreak after receiving a positive lab test on September 20th from a worker. Fraser Health also says a staff member at White Rock Seniors Village has tested positive. That employee is now self-isolating at home. A rapid response team is said to be on site and communication with residents and their families underway. The health authority is working with staff to identify anyone who may have been exposed. It's a long-term care and assisted living facility owned and operated by Retirement Concepts. Many British Columbians don't have a family doctor. The group BC family doctor says the pandemic is making a bad situation even worse. As Nadia Stewart reports, it's calling on greater support from the province so family physicians don't burn out or decide to leave their practices altogether. For family doctors in British Columbia, the last six months have been a challenge, to say the least. And the pandemic has really shone a light on the cracks in the primary care system. So the issues that were there before are only amplified 10 and 100 fold now. Dr. Renee Fernandez is the executive director of BC Family Doctors. The organization recently released a report highlighting the additional pressures doctors now face. They say doctors with family practices are essentially small business owners, responsible for all costs associated with delivering care, including leases, office medical staff salaries, and purchasing all the equipment and supplies needed to make a practice run smoothly and safely. PPE and the uh, lack of supplies to the clinic during the pandemic has absolutely limited the number of people that we're able to see in person. I know for a fact that a lot of physicians are burnt out and um, they're exhausted and they they need help. There are 700,000 British Columbians without a family doctor. And Dr. Mariam Zainedin says unless something changes, 
that number will continue to rise. What's happening is the graduating um, physicians that are coming out from our medical schools are, are seeing all the complexities of what's happening with primary care and they're getting more and more discouraged. The Ministry of Health says there are COVID-19 resources available for family doctors. The government has announced the addition of 22 primary care networks. But the recent announcements and resources don't seem to address the concerns Fernandez and others are raising. The fact that the great majority of care pre-pandemic, now and into the future, has and always has been the family medicine clinic in BC. Our clinics are a key part of healthcare infrastructure and it's time to fund and support them like the way that they are. Nadia Stork, Global News. Human remains found in a burned-out SUV in the North Okanagan last month have now been identified, and now a murder investigation has been launched. A four-door SUV was found burning in the early morning hours of September 20th, just off West Side Road near Vernon. First responders noticed human remains inside. An autopsy has identified the remains of that of 27-year-old Erin Chelsea Borgford of Whitehorse. She was one of three people arrested in Whitehorse in March of this year for possession of heroin for the purposes of trafficking. The Southeast District Major Crime Unit is investigating the case as a homicide and is asking for anyone who may have seen Borgford driving a 2014 Nissan Rogue on September 19th or anyone with dashcam footage of the area at the time to come forward. The city of Vancouver may soon have a second permanent overdose prevention site. If approved, the site would open up in Yale Town at Seymour and Helmkin. Addictions advocates hope it will be part of a solution to the overdose crisis. But as Paul Johnson reports, it will likely face opposition from a neighborhood already feeling beset by crime. Here's a look at an existing safe injection site in Vancouver's downtown east side. Now, have a look over in Yaletown, where the city wants to establish another one at the corner of Seymour and Helmican. They're very different neighborhoods, but drug user advocate Karen Ward will tell you Yaletown has a need for this as well. We're just trying to stop them from dying. And who wouldn't support that? BC's overdose epidemic continues to claim lives at a record pace. And if overdose prevention sites are going to be part of the strategy, then they need to go somewhere. We need to bring people inside, and this is the best way to do that. It's proven, there's evidence uh, all over the world. No, would you want it in your neighborhood? We found reaction in Yaletown ranges from wary to adamantly opposed. I think it's outrageous. This is a family neighborhood. You can see it's a family neighborhood. Absolutely not. Not next to a kids park, that's for sure. Two things worry residents here. Their sense that street crime and intimidation is going up. And recent events, like the takeover of Strathcona Park by a homeless encampment, make them wonder if city leaders are willing or even capable of maintaining peace and order. I've been receiving emails for months now from people who really have public safety concerns. Vancouver City Councilor Melissa DiGenova wants to make sure Yaletown residents have been consulted. And she's putting forward a motion calling for the city to evaluate its overdose strategy and whether it's lacking on the enforcement side. Councilors will vote on whether the safe injection site proceeds on Tuesday. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. 
Elections BC has found no evidence of corrupt voting after an allegation of voter fraud in Surrey Fleetwood. This past Tuesday, Delta North NDP candidate Ravi Kalon accused nearby Liberal candidate Gary Tind of collecting personal information from voters in order to request mail-in voting packages. Under the Election Act, voters must not request, voters rather, must request their own vote by mail package and it's an offence to obtain a ballot or on behalf of another voter. Elections BC has since spoken with all parties involved and says no evidence of improper vote by mail package requests was found. For more on this, let's bring in Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Keith, what do you make of this? I'm not terribly surprised, uh, given the fact that we are now embarking on a whole new journey when it comes to mail-in voting. Uh, right now, almost half a million people have requested mail-in ballots. So we're engaged in a voting exercise, the likes of which we've never been through before. I think 6,000 people voted by mail in the last election. Uh, so there's going to be some problems. There's probably going to be other allegations down the road, because, again, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with the rules that are associated with mail-in balloting, because we just actually don't do it very often. Uh, nevertheless, Gary Tien, today we caught up with him. He's is demanding an apology from the NDP. He thinks this was a bit of overkill and uh, exaggeration on their part. And Ravi Kalon, who was one of the MLAs at the center of this for the NDP, says he still thinks there's some questions that uh, need to be answered. This is an overreaction, and that's what the NDP is good and doing. They've been just accusing people so they can not focus on these elections and try to divert their intentions um, and, and basically distract people from, uh, from doing the good job. We still hope that uh, the campaign, Gary Finn's campaign and, uh, and Mr. Wilkinson, will uh, share with us what the candidate knew uh, around what his volunteers were up to in, the, in this chat group. Um, and so we're still hoping that they'll clear that up. Um, but again, we're pleased that Elections BC hasn't found any uh, evidence that anyone voted illegally. But uh, still, uh, some unanswered questions out there. And again, given the enormous number of mail-in ballots, currently sitting about a half a million, likely to get as much as 800,000. Colleen, I think there's probably going to be other problems, procedural problems, snags, snafus associated with this, because again, we're, we've never really experienced this before. That many people voting by mail. And again, a reminder, we're likely not going to know the results of the October 24th election on election night, if, because all those ballots won't be counted for weeks after that. And if it's a tight race, uh, the outcome may be in abeyance for some time until those ballots are, are counted. No one said democracy was easy. Thanks, Keith. Nope. Okay. Elsewhere on the election campaign trail today, leaders of two parties sparred over an environmental pledge. The Greens' Sonia Furstenau introduced three of their candidates while campaigning in Victoria today. The party has been able to put up candidates for 74 of the 87 ridings. The nominations closed on Friday. Furstenau took issue with the NDP's pledge to create net zero carbon emissions by 2050, saying it is impossible because of the LNG project. But NDP leader John Horgan refuted that this afternoon while campaigning in Revelstoke. Including LNG Canada, emissions from oil and gas introduction would exceed BC's 2050 target by 160 percent even if emissions from the rest of the economy were reduced to zero by 2035. Our climate action plan was created with the Green Party caucus. We worked with the BC Business Council to ensure that uh, industrial emitters understood that we needed to reduce emissions in that sector. We need to reduce emissions in transportation. We need to reduce emissions in our, ho our homes and our buildings. And we put in place plans with the Green Party caucus to achieve those goals. 
Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson had no scheduled appearances today, but the party released its entire list of nominees. Both the Liberals and NDP have candidates in all 87 ridings. A person has been killed in a motorcycle crash in Langley. It happened at around 8.45 last night on the northbound on-ramp to the Golden Ears Bridge. Witnesses say it appears the motorcyclist hit the railing and was thrown from the bike. The motorcyclist landed on the road below the on-ramp and died at the scene. Speed is believed to be a factor in the crash. Investigators are asking any witnesses who may have information or dash cam video to contact Langley RCMP. A driver with a learner's permit was taken off the road along with their car in Burnaby last night. RCMP say this Audi was pulled over going 118 kilometers an hour in a 60 zone. That is, Mounties say the driver was solo without supervision and on their phone when officers pulled them over. Well, with Thanksgiving fast approaching and Remembrance Day, even Christmas Day on the horizon, BC's top doctor is reminding us all to keep our social circles small or, or virtual. As Kristen Robinson reports, Halloween events are underway as the province awaits Dr. Henry's guidance to ensure a happy and healthy holiday season. Sir, all the coins! Pumpkin Patch 2020 proving to be quite the ride. Everyone on board with pandemic protocol. We take it for granted. We've taken it for granted all these years, and this year it's just so special. We're very lucky in a way because we have the perfect social distancing farm, you know, with nearly 30 acres. Fantasy farms in Chilliwack playing the field with this year's event, complete with COVID-19 contact tracing and sanitizing. The outdoor activities here a hint of what October 31st will be like. We're, we're planning to go trick-or-treating and I know most of the people in our neighborhood are with precautions, of course. Not the like way it used to be. Yeah. Not running up door-to-door. -door. So Halloween, we're just going to do a family party yeah. at home. We need to recognize that it is going to be a different Halloween this year. <laughs> Scenes like this may be the ghosts of Halloween's past. Dr. Henry urging trick-or-treaters to keep their distance, stick with immediate family or close contacts, and avoid neighborhood gatherings. We need to scale it back, keep our numbers small. There is still absolute limits on people, and that's 50, but many of these, you know, 50 is too many. Keeping in mind that many don't want strangers at their door during COVID, the province now finalizing guidance for Halloween, Thanksgiving and Remembrance Day. With a crowd of more than 15,000, Vancouver's Victory Square Remembrance Day service, an annual tradition since 1924, may be virtual. The city halting all official celebrations until further notice. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! And no Santa lap visits this December. Cadillac Fairview Mall's offering virtual meetings with the big guy, or the real thing, two meters apart. I was just looking, this is a good way to do Santa, too. The farm's country Christmas will include online video chats with Santa. You caught me! Kristen Robinson, Global News. The Green Party of Canada has chosen a Toronto lawyer as its new leader. The next leader of the Green Party of Canada, Enemy Paul. 
Anatomy poll won a bare majority in the eight rounds in eight rounds of voting, defeating Dimitri Lascaris. Paul succeeds Elizabeth May, who stepped down last fall after leading the party for 13 years. Nearly 35,000 people were eligible to vote, almost 10 times the turnout in the last leadership election from 2006. The party says nearly 24,000 ballots were cast. As of today, the CN Tower has temporarily closed its doors due to COVID-19. A statement released last night says it's to, quote, due to, quote, do our part to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and hopefully help flatten the curve. The statement goes on to say it looks forward to reopening when it's safe to do so. New public health measures kick in today in Ottawa, Toronto and the Peel region that will see restaurants, bars, gyms and similar facilities face tougher restrictions, including capping the number of people allowed indoors. The province has been reporting between 500 and 700 cases per day for the last several days. Police in Spain are controlling exits out of Madrid as the city becomes the first European capital to go back into lockdown. Nearly 5 million residents, plus those in nine towns, are barred from leaving the city. Starting Monday, fines will be imposed on people breaching the rules. Restaurants and bars will close earlier and cut capacity by half. Madrid is leading the resurgence of the virus in Spain, with Europe's highest cumulative caseload at 770,000 confirmed cases since the onset of the pandemic. Well, as you likely know by now, Donald Trump and his wife and several of his inner circle have tested positive for COVID-19. Trump is working from his hospital room at Walter Reed Military Medical Center. And tonight, he's speaking from the hospital about his condition. I feel much better now. We're working hard to get me all the way back. I have to be back because we still have to make America great again. We've done an awfully good job of that, but we still have steps to go and we have to finish that job and I'll be back. I think I'll be back soon. It's still not clear where or when Trump contracted the virus. And as Reggie Cicchini reports, there are now questions about the severity and exactly when he knew he was infectious. As the president of the United States remains in hospital, there are conflicting messages about his well-being. This morning, the president is doing very well. But just before Donald Trump was airlifted to Walter Reed Hospital, multiple reports suggest the president's breathing was labored. Doctors say he was not given supplemental oxygen in their presence, dodging reports it was administered at the White House. No oxygen, none at this moment. Yeah, and yesterday with the team, uh, while, while we were all here, he was not on oxygen. Moments later, the White House chief of staff told reporters on background Trump's vitals on Friday were concerning and the next 48 hours will be critical. A full reversal from what he had said just 24 hours earlier. He continues to be not only in good spirits, but very energetic. The contradictions have further eroded the credibility of an administration that has been less than transparent on the president's health history. The timeline of Trump's diagnosis has also raised questions following his tweet on Friday morning. Just 72 hours into the diagnosis now. Off camera, that timeline was clarified. Dr. Conley saying he meant to say day three, not 72 hours. Conley also claims he misspoke on Trump receiving an experimental antibody treatment 48 hours ago instead of two days ago, even though it was a different doctor who made that comment. About 48 hours ago, the president received uh, a special antibody therapy directed against the coronavirus. It calls into question Trump's decision to travel to New Jersey on Thursday night for a fundraiser, where he met with high-paying donors. 
White House operations made the assessment it was safe for the president in consultation with others. All of this comes as the number of people near Donald Trump that test positive for COVID-19 continues to rise, including two Republican senators, former aide Kellyanne Conway and Trump's campaign manager. And with the president now sidelined, Vice President Mike Pence will become a more visible figure on the campaign trail, including at an in-person rally in Arizona next week. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Another tough night in Northern California as firefighters continue to battle the glass fire, which is only 8% contained. They're fighting against high heat, gusty winds and low humidity along with rugged terrain. Thick smoke has also largely grounded the air attack. The blaze has scorched more than 24,000 hectares in Napa and Sonoma counties. Cal Fire says the fire has destroyed 173 homes in Napa County, 120 in Sonoma County, and dozens of wineries. And those numbers are expected to grow. Venice finally deployed its first flood barriers to protect the Italian city from high tide, in this case from Storm Alex. This is the first time the system has been implemented, and so far it's working. And that has meant major relief for the city hit with major flooding in previous years. The barriers are designed to lift from the seabed as the tide begins to climb. In Health Matters, importing romaine lettuce into Canada will soon face tough new restrictions due to E. coli concerns. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says starting Wednesday, importers will have to prove their leafy greens do not come from California's Salinas Valley or that the lettuce has below detectable levels of E. coli in laboratory testing. E. coli outbreaks have been linked to several farms in the area. In Canada, there have been seven documented outbreaks of the illness tied to romaine lettuce and 16 recalls. The new restrictions will also apply to mixed salad products that contain romaine lettuce and will be enforced until December 31st. Lettuce is often contaminated through cattle manure. A recent study finds tattoos could cause the body to overheat. Researchers at Southern Methodist University compared sweat rates in the tattooed and unmarked skin of 10 people. When exposed to heat, both areas began to sweat at the same time, but the tattooed areas produced less sweat. Experts say these findings suggest the tattooing process may damage sweat glands. Researchers say these could be issue, there could be issues for people whose tattoos cover a large portion of their bodies. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Why new video of the Cambridge kids may be a first of its kind. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, the Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington, D.C. shared this photo of the six-week-old giant panda cub opening its eyes during a checkup. This is the first giant panda cub born at the zoo in five years. Oh, my goodness. Cuteness factor. Cambridge kids, pandas, Cambridge kids. Right? Off the scale. Off the scale. <laughs> so, is, so is the weather these days. Yeah, it's been a mixed bag. Depending on where you are across the south coast, we've had fog and then hazy conditions through the day. And we've actually had some fog roll in with the haze this evening. We can see that overlooking English Bay. Some fantastic shots an hour just before the sunset this evening. Now, temperatures have warmed up through the day today. We still managed to climb up to 18 degrees. A couple of shots to show the sunrise this morning. This was captured off the Portman Bridge. So thank you so much, John. Spectacular. And the sunrise in Nanu Bay taken by Paul. So some gorgeous photos out there despite the hazy conditions and there is a nice improvement from the smoke and I'll have the timeline in just a moment. 18 was the high today above the average that typically sits at 15 degrees. A record on this day 24 degrees and that was set back in 1980 official sunset this evening at 647. 
Tonight, we're going to see the fog developing once again. We've got a fair bit of cloud cover. It'll cool off down to 11 degrees. Tomorrow, it's cloud cover. Even a slight chance to see an isolated shower. A greater chance will be for eastern sections and stretching into the Fraser Valley. Whistler will be included within that. Temperatures tomorrow, though, still climbing up into the upper teens with 17. So we've got a weak front that is going to push in across the province. A nice and much-needed change. It'll hopefully clear out some of the smoke across the region, and it'll likely be on Monday that we'll start to see some of that fresh air across the, uh, the southern half of the province. Now, for the northern half of the province, it'll be drier through the morning hours, and then the precipitation and moisture picks up. It'll be late in the day, and then some of the heavier rain will be pushing in on Monday. So a heads up for the northern half of the province, and that'll move in across the central interior as well. Most areas by Monday across the south coast, we've got a bit of a westerly flow that is going to kick in. So we are going to see some of that smoke clearing across the region. So here's a smoke forecast, but looking ahead towards tomorrow, with that system that is going to move in. And then on Monday, that westerly flow is going to clear out some of the smoke across the region. It should be quite pleasant. That'll take us all the way in towards Wednesday. And then come Thursday, a different weather story with the potential for some wet weather in the form of showers. And likely for both Thursday and Friday, we'll start to track that change on the way with cooler temperatures. So the rain is going to move in late day for tomorrow across the northern half of the province. Breaks across the northeastern corners. A few isolated showers across the central interior. The Columbia could get clipped as well. Much of the southern interior for tomorrow will start to see an increase in cloud cover and along the south coast, the northern and central half of the island We'll be looking at a mainly cloudy sky, a chance of showers, eastern areas, and that'll stretch into the Fraser Valley. So it is going to be unsettled for the day tomorrow, but there is going to be an improvement in the air quality. And as we look ahead towards our Monday, especially those with respiratory issues, it'll likely start to really clear out from Monday onwards. Tuesday, Wednesday, pleasant, fantastic conditions, and then a bit of a change on the way with the chance of showers for tomorrow, though, more cloud cover, temperatures up to 17. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. We've seen photos and video, but for what may be the very first time, we're also hearing the voices of Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis. The children asked Sir David Attenborough questions about animals in a video released by their parents, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Attenborough visited the family, of course, last week and gave Prince George a fossilized megalodon tooth. Here's the video. Hello, David Attenborough. What animal do you think will become extinct next? Well, let's hope there won't be any, because there are lots of things we can do when animals are reduced to and danger of extinction. We can protect them. Hello, David Attenborough. I like spiders. Do you like spiders too? I love spiders. I'm so glad you like them. I think they're wonderful things. Why is it that people are so frightened of them? What animal do you like? I think I like monkeys best. Very sweet. Oh, they're and their accents. It's just Queen, that's Queen's English right there. That is the oh. Queen's English. And Attenborough is so good with kids. <laughs> what a good guy. Pretty adorable. Yeah, I always liked him. Now I like him even more. Barry, what have you got coming up next? Well, it's uh, time crunch time for the NFL in a way. Kind of, there's uh, been some coronavirus uh, t- positive tests that is definitely going to upset the schedule. There was Tennessee earlier in the week. Now, uh, one of the league's true superstars is tested positive. We'll tell you all about that and how that could affect things uh, certainly for tomorrow and for the rest of the season. You may have already noticed food prices in our country are on the rise. As Global's Gil Tucker reports, the pandemic is only partly to blame for the pain in your pocketbook. Another trip to the supermarket, another hefty bill. And now comes word food prices are going nowhere but up. Oh my God, again? (laughs) 
This is horrible. A new report by agribusiness experts at Dalhousie University predicts Canadian food prices will go up as much as 4% this year. Meat's gone crazy. I just bought three drumsticks and they went up just about 30 cents a piece and the bread went up quite a bit. Vegetables, they're going a little bit out, out of whack as well. The report says the pandemic is one of many factors causing food prices to go up faster than the inflation rate. The supply chain has has become more vulnerable to currency fluctuations, energy costs, uh, a change in pricing due to climate change, like what we're seeing right now with wildfires in California. Because of COVID, because of what's going on with the economy, uh, it, it will get more expensive. My mom lives on $1,600 a month. There's no way she can keep going. No way. Every time she comes here, the, everything goes up, 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 up. Her money doesn't go up. Uh, that will be very tough because we're not making more money right now. I'd hate to be the young generation that that haven't got a job and, you know, have to feed a family because I don't know how they do it. We kind of looked through different uh, flyers and stuff online. Pokemon check, sales. <laughs> yeah, go where the sales are. I've cut back quite a bit. I hardly buy any meat. We are hunters on the side, so I highly recommend starting to hunt more. <laughs> Gil Tucker, Global News. Barry's here with sports, and when he's not swatting flies, he's talking about the NFL. There's some big guy buzzing around here. I think I got him. We'll see. I hope so. He could come back to hunt. <laughs> Thanks, Colleen. The NFL is uh, facing its first coronavirus crisis. Today, Patriots quarterback Cam Newton tested positive for COVID-19. Ironically, their opponents this week, the Kansas City Chiefs, also had one positive test. It was practice squad quarterback Jordan Ta'amu who played the role of Newton this week in practice in the scout team. The game has been postponed until likely Tuesday, but that could change if there are any further positive tests on either team. So far, none have come up. Meanwhile, another Tennessee Titans player and two additional staff members have tested positive for COVID-19. That brings the team's total to 17. Their game with the Steelers has been postponed and is now scheduled to be played in week seven. The Titans' next scheduled game is October 11th against Buffalo in Nashville, and you have to wonder if that game is in danger of being postponed as well. Well, the Seahawks are fine on the COVID front, but they are banged up with some key injuries, but they should still have enough weapons to take care of the Dolphins in Miami tomorrow. Here's our secret weapon, Chanel in the red zone. The last time the Seahawks started a season 3-0, they went on to win the Super Bowl. While they've won back-to-back thrillers, there is concern on the horizon for the squad. We'll get to that in just a bit. Now on Sunday, the Hawks head east for a morning matchup against Miami, looking to improve to a perfect 4-0. Miami earned its first win last week with the defense recording four sacks versus Jacksonville. Now the goal Sunday will be to contain Russell Wilson, who has been sacked nine times already this season. But overall, this defense isn't very good, ranked eighth from the bottom. The veteran quarterback threw for two touchdowns and ran one in himself last week. Now Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't have a deep receiving core, but he does have to find a way to take advantage of an injury-riddled defense that has some big holes. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf have combined for seven touchdowns so far. 
Now Metcalf's big playmaking ability and Lockett's efficiency makes them nearly unstoppable as a tandem. And Russell Wilson's 14 touchdowns in his first three games is a new NFL record. The MVP favorite may be forced to continue this torrid pace as he looks to rip apart the Dolphins' secondary. But here's where the problem lies. No defense in NFL history has allowed more passing yards in the first three games of the season than the Seahawks, an average of 430 yards per week. And what's worse, Seattle is the most injured team in the league with almost 20 players on the injury report, including safety Jamal Adams and running back Chris Carson. Seattle is favored by six and a half and is 3-0 against the spread so far this season, but the Hawks haven't won in Miami since 1996. All right, third round of the French Open. 18-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez of Montreal taking on seventh seed Petra Kvitova, who is 12 years older. Fernandez won the French Open last year as a junior, and she played like a champ early on, running Kvitova all over the court before putting that point away. She broke Kvitova's first three service games, and she kept on going. Beautifully orchestrated point here. You can see why Tennis Canada is super excited about this young lady. Went up five games to one, actually had a set point, but then Kvitova started playing like a two-time Wimbledon champ. She beat Eugenie Bouchard in the 2014 final, running down the drop shot here. She won nine straight games to take the set and control of the second set, but Fernandez showed some fight. She put an end to the bleeding to get on the board in the second set with the break, and she actually got it to 4-3 in that set, but Kvitova was just too good. Check out this drop shot coming up. While slipping down, Kvitova will get the winner, and she knocks out Leila Fernandez in straight sets, but the 18-year-old's ranking moving up to number 87 in the world, and she'll be in the top 50 very soon. Meanwhile, Vancouver's Vashik Pospisil teaming up with American Jack Sock in doubles for the first time in four years. Of course, they won the Wimbledon doubles title in 2014, taking on the tough French team of Mahut and Herbert. Great start for Pop Sock as they were dubbed in London. Vashik with the big serve, Sock with the put away net. They won the first set 6 2. They had a match point in the second set, but didn't get it. Lost in a tie break, and then the French team got an early break in the third and held serve the rest of the way. So Pospisil and Sock out in the second round of men's doubles in Paris. The Whitecaps are a huge underdog going into Seattle tonight against the Western Conference leading Sounders. Seattle soundly thumped Vancouver 3-0 earlier this year. But Vancouver needs wins to get into the playoffs, which at this point only sounds impossible considering the Caps situation in this COVID 2020 season. The challenge to make the playoffs are very, very high and uh, very demanding. But... Today, we're three points away from that line. Um, today, there's a huge belief that all the teams in the West can make the playoffs. The distance is very, very close. So we're approaching it at every, every game makes some points. MLS tonight, Toronto FC taking on Philadelphia. Toronto playing their home games in Hartford, Connecticut. Union and TFC tied for second in the East with 8-2 and 4 records. Philly scored early in the match, but Toronto equalized as uh, Io Akinola heads in the perfect delivery from Tony Gallagher. It's 1-1, then off the corner kick, flicked on to Alejandro Pozuelo. All alone, heads it in his seventh of the year. Toronto wins 2-1. They move into first 
in the Eastern Conference. English, uh, English Premiership, Everton continues its fantastic start, looking to stay perfect against Brighton and Hove Albion. Hamas Rodriguez scored twice. He's now got three goals and three assists this season as Everton remain perfect at 4-0, top of the table for now. Also today, Kevin De Bruyne and Man City taking on Leeds United. City strike first. Raheem Sterling, such a great finisher, finds the far corner. 1-0 Manchester City, but Leeds have been a pleasant surprise so far. Elevated from the championship division last year, Rodrigo with the equalizer. Leeds with the one-all draw. They're two, a one-and-one record through uh, four matches currently in fifth place. North Delta's Tristan Jari has signed a new three-year, $10.5 million contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. The 25-year-old played a career-high 33 games, had a solid 2.43 goals against. He also played in his first all-star game this past year with Jari's new deal. It's likely that the Penguins will trade Matt Murray. Third round of the Sanderson Farms Championship from Jackson, Mississippi. Sergio Garcia, now 40 years old, still one of the best ball strikers in the game. Proves it here at the 12th as he sticks it to a foot and made birdie. But Sergio's putting has been an issue. So he's now closing his eyes just before he hits the putt, and it's working. Makes the short one here for birdie. He said he used that technique when he won the Masters a few years ago, but no one really made a big deal of it like they are now. Sergio in a three-way tie for first. Corey Connors, top Canadian four back. Roger Sloan is at seven under. Nick Taylor won this tournament six years ago, but he missed the cut, not playing the weekend. And LPGA ShopRite Classic from New Jersey. Canada's Brooke Henderson made a big move today. She had seven birdies on the day, just one bogey. Birdie here at 18 to finish a six under 65. Tied for the low round of the day. She's in seventh. Ten under. Five shots behind leader Mel Reed of England. Final round goes tomorrow, and I'm going to try my next sports cast with my eyes closed, see if I have a little better luck. We hear lots of lost animal stories, but this one is quite amazing, and it has a happy ending, which counts. Timon is a 12-month-old border collie. He was herding sheep with his owner when he suddenly disappeared. People started looking for him right away, but couldn't find him. They had to search a very large area where there are many cracks in the ground. So after 10 days, the owner thought Timon was dead, but decided to look further anyway. That's when they found him. They had to use a rope and a ladder to bring him up. His owner says it's hard to describe the moment when she finally found him, but joy would be close. Aww. Always nice to have that happen. Well, good ending. <laughs> it is. It's sweet. Uh, happy ending to our forecast tonight. Looks good. Yep, we got some cloud and then some sunshine. The fog or the smoke rather will clear out on Monday. Sounds good. I Thanks so much. Thanks for smoothly, watching us. That was the traffic traffic guy.